show is brought to you by MillenniLink, where talent and digital transformations intersect. Hey, Britt. Hey, Jess. What's going on? Um, wait, I have to ask you, how did your boyfriend like our last episode? <laughs> <laughs> He was fine with it. He's in the doghouse again, though, for like having the constant politics on. Oh, my God. These guys that are political junkies, it's like just embarrassed. It's too much. It's the you need to draw the line. It's like an addiction. Yeah, he's addicted, which is kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, but aside from that, I am super excited to see you tonight. We're going to go out, hit the town. Yes. Well, yes. COVID conscious, like outdoor cocktail at Hellstone. Cannot wait. Uh, we're not breaking like the months. rules we do what we're allowed to we do we don't push the boundaries no no no, no. i mean it's outdoor dining we're yeah. supporting one of our favorite restaurants um also i think i love um, trader joe lives right near there so i was like do you want to meet jess at the tail end of when we oh, wrap up out. so oh my hopefully he can come over and say hi Oh, I'm excited. He's so handsome. Um, I love Hillstone, though. I'm excited for it. It's a good spot. If you're in New York and you're trying to do like a business, like Britt and I are having sort of like a team meeting, you know, start of the year goals kind of conversation. I find Hillstone is covered great heating lamps and they do a really nice job of the uh, the layout there. So it's a good And spot they have so much food. You can do oh my God, the, um, spinach dip. You can the sushi, you can do the spinach artichoke dip. They have great salads. Like you can get anything you want. Love it. All right, we have an action-packed show today. Should we just get into it, Britt? Let's do it. I'm really excited about today's episode because one of my friends, Divya Gagnani, who is the co-founder and CEO of Wander Beauty, is joining us, and she's talking about all about her career from Goldman Sachs to QVC to culinary school to then starting Wander Beauty with a supermodel. And wait until the end to learn more. Yeah, she is a serious hitter. She's like the A-Rod of finance, I'm telling you. Like, you guys are going to want to listen up to hear the tidbits she's got for you. All right, let's start today with our market minute. It is earnings season right now. I'm new to learning all about earnings season, but it kind of feels like game day, like fantasy football day or Super Bowl Sunday. It seems like a big deal. I'm sure you're experiencing this for the first time with your boyfriend. All right, no, you've been with him last earnings season too, but do you find that he's like super busy at work, kind of like going through that? zone right now yeah he's taking a lot longer to respond to my text messages yeah for sure so give your guys a break it's earnings season it's a busy time but but I really quickly want to touch on Netflix who like blew it out of the water they closed down on Wednesday like 17% up on the day like they're just they're killing it right now so there was a huge announcement coming in from this company and that was that they are very close to being cash flow positive wait really I missed that It's huge, but it basically means that this company is approaching the level that they will be making more money than they are spending. So for all the times you think of like, okay, Netflix, how many more shows you can do? You know, like that point where like a brand new show keeps coming up in the queue every single day. Like they can't even keep up with the spend. They could probably do like 10 more shows soon. Uh, Reed Hastings is saying sooner. I guess he's like the newly booted soon to be. And you know what's ironic is when you think about a typical business, it's like revenue minus your expenses equals your profit. And like you want to make a profit. But in the world that we live in today, it's all about like spend as much as you can, get as many subscribers and viewership and customers as you can, and then figure out how to monetize. So it's kind of funny being like, oh, yay, we're now going to make a dollar. But in this case, like they've really had a blow it out of the water and then figure out how to monetize. Think if you're this business, right? Like you're sort of the lone standing one in 2015. Then within the past, call it year and a half, we've had Apple TV Plus, Discovery Plus, Disney Plus. We get Paramount Plus on March 4th. Like the competition is endless and all people are doing is more moving more into this space than sort of like moving away from it. But clearly it's not hurting this business too badly. The other thing with Netflix is they are highly secretive. They like don't release their information. The fact that they've just started doing that top 10 list you know that you see yes and we usually try and cover like the shows we would like in the top 10 for the for our show but um they that was like a big moment for them because they are so secretive with their data like they just do not release it to anybody but during their earnings releases they give out like little tidbits here and there so i think this has been public for a while but queen's gambit earned 62 million viewers in the first 28 days of the service so just think of like creating something whoever the show writer is of that of that um series and like you have 62 million hits like 
62 million customers in 28 days. Like I'm my, curious to see what the eyeballs were on Bridgerton. Right? I wonder if they'll release that one because it was definitely mm. a hit. But I have seen it trickling down on the um, from number one. So we'll see what happens. Whereas Queen's Gambit, I think, is still, you know, top 10 after how many months? Um, one cool fact I found out a couple weeks ago is Netflix said they're on track to deliver a new movie a week in 2021. I kind of love that because some of their movies have been fun. Mm, but at the same time, I feel like they're pushing out a lot of Hallmark level movies where like if I want to watch a really good rom-com, it takes me like two hours to find one. And it's usually never a Netflix movie because they've pushed out so many and great, but they all are pretty bad. That's definitely like one of the arguments. I said sort of in the middle because like think America story I remember when it dropped on like a Friday I was like this is what I want for my life like a great movie I can sit in my cozy apartment and watch it does the Hallmark content push out a lot yes but Who Be Halloween I think is still the most downloaded show on Netflix which is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen yeah so it's kind of weird because if if you compare the level of the holiday or the wedding date those were true iconic rom-coms and movies when you're trying to find anything that's close to it on Netflix you're really just settling for something yeah, so The Midnight Sky, did you see that one? It's not really kind of a movie, I think. Oh, it's George Clooney. Yeah. So they yeah, released um, numbers on that one. Honestly, that's star power. In my opinion, I heard the movie wasn't great, but I didn't right. see it. Um, 72 million views in the first four weeks. It was one, it dropped like Christmas Day. So it was mm-hmm. sort of that show that people could go, you know, check out on Christmas when you're with your, your family or whatever. But I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that George Clooney, who doesn't have Instagram, which is so lame. Do you not, can you not stand these celebrities that are like too big for Instagram? Well, I think that's like the nice part is they don't need, I think a lot of the celebrities are just trying to keep up with the influencers and everyone else. And like he knows that if he signs up tomorrow, he could easily get millions and millions of followers. But to keep like some privacy in his life, I, I, appreciate no I think him and Brad Pitt everybody else has to play in the game they made Jen Aniston get in the game and I don't think she wanted to join so I want these guys whatever it speaks to him that's his star power uh speaking about earnings Goldman. the big news also this week was Goldman absolutely crushing expectations DJ like Soul, it was pretty right? sexy that's his nickname <laughs> DJ Soul who's hopefully coming on the show soon we're still in conversation with them so everyone get excited more people were trading and doing deals last year through the bank than ever before they've got great leads leadership they're on great track and they led some great ipos too doordash airbnb they had some major clients major major deals yeah the ipo good call i actually forgot to write that in my notes okay brit trader brit over here um but i'm curious to see like if these banks you know there's a new sec guy in charge right now he's very regulatory heavy which is really gonna impact sort of a lot of the rollbacks on regulation that uh, the past administration did so it'll be interesting to see what happens happens because that's definitely one of the things people are talking about right now. I will say though I was on a webinar with a few reporters from Forbes and they were talking all about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and they said although the head of SECC is a bit tough he is a fan of crypto so they're excited to see what happens with the whole like Ripple XRP situ- lawsuit and um, what the next few years Ethereum Ethereum's quickly catching yep. up on Bitcoin's heels yep. so. it hit 1400 yesterday I love a guy who's a Wall Street regulator that's his reputation yet he's interested in crypto it's like okay sure <laughs> I'll see you when I believe it all right, so let's take some time. There has been a lot of engagements through our friends and pregnancies, but there's also sadly been a lot of divorces. And this is not above celebrities. We have seen Kim and Kanye having rumors about getting divorced. We have some trouble with Ben Affleck and Anna Dimarmas. And we even had a couple in Bachelor Nation call it quits. All right, let's break down the Kim and Kanye divorce rumors. So first off, Kim and Kanye got married six years ago on May 23rd. 5th 2014 in Florence Italy we all remember those photos like it was tomorrow or Mm -hmm. like it was yesterday it was (laughs) yesterday (laughs) 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 and they now have four beautiful kids together they both are incredible business people they have a net worth of 2.1 billion dollars totally estimated about that reportedly we'll see maybe they're trillion who knows um but wait real quick (laughs) who do you think is richer Oh, Kim. Well, I think Kanye spends money like it's it's grows on trees, like with his private jets. He puts so much money into his business. And Kim just got 200 million or what was it? 250 million just hit her bank account. Jan 1, 2021. Like she's definitely 
got the cash flow. I don't think he made a lot of money on that concert on the um, well, so service. Kanye is worth supposedly one point two six billion dollars, although a lot of his assets are tied up with Yeezy uh, because he is the sole proprietor of that brand, whereas Kim is worth seven hundred fifty million dollars. But five hundred million of that comes from KKW Beauty. So she sold half of mm-hmm. that and got two hundred fifty million in her bank account, like you said, in January this month. And then the other is in equity. And then the other two hundred fifty million lies in other investments and probably including um, her fees for being in keeping up with the Kardashians. And they even have three hundred thousand dollars worth of livestock. I think the mom takes ten percent because she took ten yeah. percent on Kylie's yep. deal. So I'm sure the mom takes ten percent. I wonder who else Kim has to pay out on that. Two hundred oh, million. So It'd be interesting many. to see. But still, either way. The re- but it's her sale, yeah. Yeah, it's her sale. I think she has a really great team behind her that got her to ha- get acquired by Cody. Props to her. Um, but recently, rumors have swirled that Kim and Kanye completely stopped going to marriage counseling and are getting divorced, according to People magazine. So let's break down the facts. Kim became public in 2020, uh, shortly after Kanye announcing his presidential run, um, about Kanye's bipolar disease and cl- Close friends said that she and him, like their marriage was beyond repair. Kim is over Kanye's chaos. And at this point, she just wants to focus on her kids and her own life. And that shows because during the pandemic, if you've noticed, Kim and Kanye are living in separate places. Kanye is currently living in Wyoming at their $14 million ranch. Kim Kardashian also currently has Laura Wesser, who is a top divorce lawyer on retainer, even though she has She's a savage. she has not officially filed. Being on retainer, that's a pretty hefty sign that something's going on. And lastly, like Kanye has been MIA during Kim's 40th birthday party. Um, statements have been said that he was there for less than a day, showed up late, left early, and refused to take photos. And he was also in zero family photos on Kim's instagram for christmas like not even with the kids which i thought was an interesting sign as well um that sounds like every man i've ever known like shows up late refuses to take pictures like kind of grumpy and then wants to leave (laughs) (laughs) but i know you're a big fan of them and you know you pushed back when i read about um kanye hooking up with jeffree star who is a male beauty guru um because there's always been rumors about kanye hooking up with other men and you pushed back well can i just first say britney was sort of like the smarter one of the group i'm more like the kardashians obsessed and britney's more like the entrepreneur like smart one so i really appreciate this deep dive and also to all the kim kardashian stands out there britney has said finally joined i did team, i did. so excited i mean it's something that. where you just want to keep up with them and I still to this day do not follow Kim on Instagram because I think she can be annoying but I can't stop like stalking her every other week okay well let's not call the queen annoying but I will comment on this (laughs) this story that you brought up today um my take on them is that they just they have their own lives and they have their own way of living. I found it extremely suspicious when Kim posted the final day of filming about a week after all these rumors hit no statement was made oh. from Kim or Kanye or either their lawyers. And also, no one filed for divorce. So I love Kim. She's a marketing genius. So that sort of all spun up. And then she announced that it was the last day ever filming on E! Because, of course, they're, they'll be starting their new deal at Hulu, um, I think, sometime in 2022, I want to say. I'm sure they'll be building some type of show before that. But I don't think they live together. I think Kim lives in L.A. at the Calabasas Mansion. And I think that Kanye lives out in Wyoming. And I just think that's sort of how it is. They go back and forth. They're together, but they're just doing their own things. I mean, Kim has got the kids. She has four kids. She runs multi-million dollar businesses. She's married. She's close to their family. She's on a TV show producing another TV show. I don't think she's messing around, but do I think that maybe she has a boyfriend who's a businessman and helps her with her career on the side? Possibly. See, why do you think she needs a man for her career? I think she's doing all by herself and has hired a ton of really impressive number ones. I just think, yeah, I mean, not saying that she needs somebody, but I know that Kim feels stronger with a guy. Like she said when Chris Humphreys and her broke up or when she dumped him, she like curled up in a ball at her mom's house for three months and couldn't move and then called Kanye and was like, hey, I'm free. No way, really? I didn't know (laughs) that. 
Yeah, that's how that's true. Her mom was like, <laughs> okay, like, you know, maybe you call Kanye. Like, I do believe in their love. Like, the one thing that would kind of break my heart about them breaking up is Kanye was always that guy to Kim, that guy that's like, you can't get, right? She, that guy that you want so bad and he doesn't maybe want you back as much and you're always kind of chasing him versus the other way around. Like, Kanye constantly was off doing his thing. And she, in my opinion, she married Chris Humphreys to get him to marry Whoa. her. And it works. And a so. lot of, and so, so we don't things. really have the exact answer for you guys quite yet. I think that whether it's now or in a year or so, like they definitely will end up getting divorced, sadly. But it is interesting to hear so many of you guys DMing me talking about this. Some of you think just because Skim came out with a new line as well as KKW doing well, they think this is a good marketing scheme because people are already thinking that they're getting divorced. So they might as well like play into it and get more attention. Who knows? I think that they both are geniuses and they do some really amazing things together. But we'll find out and we'll obviously keep you posted. Um, Britt, I need I don't follow Bachelor uh. Nation as much except for my new favorite, Kayla Quinn, who is so <laughs> beautiful. Everyone follow her. I'm obsessed with her now and her Instagram. Um, but can you talk a bit about the Claire and who is Dale? Because yes. I, I just caught the, you know, the loud bits from it that she's the oldest bachelorette. But what exactly went down here? So yesterday was a sad day for Bachelor Nation because Claire, Crawley and Dale officially broke up. But honestly, this was no surprise. So Claire has been an alum of the Bachelor world for years. She's 39 years old. She's gorgeous and end up becoming the oldest bachelorette that they've ever had. And she was very mindful of being there to find real love so she could continue on with her life and start a family. And right from the get-go, she's head over heels from Dale Moss, who is this beautiful former NHL um, football player. and NHL football player. That's a girl who loves sports. Oh, shoot. What, how do you, <laughs> N- N- oh, fuck. I, don't, I have no idea. Anyways, um, so right off the bat, her whole attention is on Dale and so after two weeks of the show she decides to leave the show with Dale she forfeits her opportunities to get to know any of the other guys because she believes they're madly in love and that's fine like that was a cool exit they could go off and date and really see how it translates in the real world but Dale decides to propose to her instead so after two weeks of being filmed so that means like they probably had four days together he decides to propose to her and a lot of people questioned the intents of this and I always was like team Claire I think that she genuinely really wants to get married but this just shows Mm -hmm. and proves that Dale might not have had the same intentions. People are frustrated that he did that in the first place and probably just wanted fame. Yep. But then they also were saying like how they thought Claire trapped him and he was forced to propose. Let me tell you, no one is ever forced to propose. You might be given an ultimatum, but you can always say no. So this was so confusing because I don't know why they got engaged in the first place. I totally agree. And you know who I love following is um, Publicity, who we've had on the show. And her breakdowns so good. on this is is the only place that I've been sort of following Bachelor stuff because I know you like it so much, so I want to keep abreast to the conversation. But yeah, she does a great job of of explaining that and she said something similar just like I'm tired of the narrative that she is crazy and nuts and all this like he still was invested in it and so for our last breakup of today that we need to break down is a downer day I know so but then we're gonna be lifted up by Divya in our interview um but can you talk about Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas Ben Affleck and Anna DeArmas. So this couple has been a ton of fun during quarantine. Ben's 48, Anna is 32. Gorgeous couple. Ben is sort of like a toxic bachelor at this point now. Like he keeps dating these women so seriously for one to two years and then like clearly something happens. I have a suspicion because I did see something that I was questioning a little bit. So during the quarantine, he had this, there was some big cutout of her that they laid on his lawn. So Jennifer Gardner owns like a $20 million mansion. And then I think a couple houses away, Ben Affleck also owns a $20 million mansion. And casual, right? And call And the kids go back and forth. They're a close family. I think they do a nice job of sort of keeping it, keeping everything friendly. But he had some big cutout on the lawn or whatever. All the paps came. Everybody made fun of them. Every host, like Ellen, uh, you know, all the nighttime guys were making jokes about it. 
Then yesterday, there's a picture of like a working guy on the property folding it up and shoving it into a recycling bin in the front of his house. So that kind of makes me feel like maybe she cheated on him. And then she's running around. She owned a place in Venice, sold it to move into his place in uh, like Palisades, Brantwood area. And now she's looking for places in West Hollywood. So just kind of interesting what's going down there. But I read that she never really wanted to move to L.A. for good. And he had to stay there because of his kids. So that was a rumor of like why. No, my take. That was one of the reasons. My take on them is that he I'm telling, you, no, like I'm talking to Anna like, hey, Anna, what's the real stitch? (laughs) (laughs) Well, according to people, (laughs) I just feel like she probably wants to have kids and he feels very not ready for that. And then he's always relapsed. I don't know. So that's sort of my take. Interesting. Well, it looks like he is heading to East, if anyone's interested in dating him next, to work on a movie with George Clooney called The Tender Bar. That's the other thing. I just don't think, I think that was what destroyed him and Jen Gardner. She was like, hey, we have three kids, but they're not normal people. They're movie stars. And he goes off for like four months and he's probably like, I kind of like my life. I like changing it up here every couple of years with a new woman. So maybe he's sort of like, do I really want to be tied down to like another family in LA where I destroy the whole thing and ruin everyone's lives? Like, I wonder if that's sort of some of his thinking as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Oof. I think no matter what quarantine has expedited the process with relationships, whether it's like dating and things are going really well, or if it has led to breakups and divorce, which is really sad. Um, But I hope that everyone who's in relationships are figuring it all out because once the pandemic is over, people are going to be dating, dancing and drinking like there's no tomorrow. With 2020 behind us, finally, 2021 is full of hope and promise, but new challenges too. The new vaccines will allow our economy to make a rubber band type of recovery. And soon our thoughts will turn from how to survive the pandemic to how to thrive in the post-COVID economy. Hello, 1920s. Is your business set up to provide an experience relevant to the way customers and employees want in 2021? Before COVID, brick and mortar giants like Starbucks were only taking baby steps towards the grab and go experience using their app. But COVID accelerated that process a thousand times over and they are now shutting down stores across the country, opting to increase the number of walkthrough locations. Now, the shop online grab and go model is an essential experience to provide for product and service companies across industries, and it's here to stay. Having the tech resources or partners readily available is the key to competing in any digital environment beyond purchasing the technology itself. Let's be real, technology is designed around people. Do you have your 2021 hiring or outsourcing technology plan laid out yet? With MillenniLink, in addition to hiring people for your organization, you can also outsource your projects and maintenance needs to compete in any digital market. If anything, a brief conversation can get you thinking proactively about how to optimize your position for the war on talent in the industry and see increased revenue sooner. They are your one-stop shop for all of your tech needs. Located in Toronto, a leading market for talent in North America on par with San Francisco, Washington, and Seattle. MillenniLink is your direct link to some of the best tech talent in North America at an affordable price. The current exchange rate now is 79 cents on the dollar, so it's allowing you to save money while you focus on rebounding your business and making the most out of 2021. Go MillenniLink. Here's how to reach these guys. You can give them a call at 647 808-2685 or reach out to them directly at www.millennilink.com slash contact dash us us. We are so excited to have the co-founder and CEO of Wander Beauty, Divya Gugnani, on the show today. I met Divya through moderating an interview with her at a women's networking group about two years ago. And I was just so impressed to hear first off about her career from going from investment banking to starting her own beauty company to culinary school and raising two kids at the same time. Um, But also the insight and feedback and advice that she gave during that conversation has still resonated with me today. She has been in the entrepreneurial space for well over 20 years, and I am so excited to speak to you more about your career and Wander Beauty. 
first of all, you look like you've only been in it for two years, so I don't know how you've been working for 20 <laughs> years already, but let's just start there. <laughs> I wish. It's all the skincare, guys. Got to invest in the skincare and taking care of your skin. But thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you guys. And so we actually met, what was it, maybe two years ago, um, there was a women's group called Batsheva that was partnering up with Wander Beauty. First off, your store is gorgeous. We did the event right in a Wander Beauty store in Midtown, and I got to moderate an interview with Divya. Fell in love with her. I loved how genuine you were and how honest your feedback was, and I felt like I could leave that event. I felt like I was taking a bunch of notes during, and I went home, and I was like, okay, this is what she said, and now this is what I need to do. And so going off of that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background, because at one point you went to culinary school, one of your businesses got acquired by QVC. You now have you are the co-founder and CEO of Wander Beauty. You actively invest in other startups. Tell me how this all like your your roadmap to, for your career. So I kind of say like it all happened by accident. Like that's what's really funny about it is that when I grew up, I was a shy, introverted kid. I'm a Virgo. I'm detail oriented. I, you know, put my head down, got good grades in school. I have two Indian immigrant parents who are really focused on, you know, me being a success in my life. I still am waiting for their praise despite everything that I've tried to achieve in my career. But I think until I become a doctor, I'm not getting any praise. So we'll just have to hold out for that. I have three degrees, but maybe I need to go to get a PhD so I can have the honorary doctor in front of my name. So I started my career in investment banking in Goldman Sachs after I went to Cornell undergrad. And I loved banking because I felt like it was a great stepping stone for the first job out of college. You go into investment banking, you work really hard, you get surrounded by really smart leaders, you see them negotiate, you see them do deals. It's just this eye-opening education and a great job right out of school if you want to be introduced to the world of business. I, I think those formal programs at investment banks get you training that you need so that you can understand how to um, you know do the basics how to like write a like how to build a financial model how to understand a business how to take it apart like how to negotiate and do deals like there's just so much I learned at Goldman Sachs and I think the most important thing I learned at Goldman Sachs is they used to always say there's no I in Goldman Sachs that spirit of collaboration and teamwork was probably the most important lesson that I left Goldman Sachs with. And so that idea of we all work together as a team, we're as strong as our weakest link, that was very important for me. I then went on and did private equity, which is later stage company investing, and venture capital, which is earlier stage investing. And I loved being an investor. I loved working alongside CEOs and helping them in their journey to grow their companies, build their companies, and eventually sell their companies. And I, along the way, got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. So by working as an investor and working alongside these CEOs, I then was like, heck, I can do this. I, I want to start a company. So pretty much accidentally, I ended up starting a company with someone I was dating. I worked on it nights and weekends while I had a full-time job. The company grew very rapidly. We ended up selling it pretty quickly. And everyone should have such an incredible entrepreneurial experience where everything just lines up. There's product market fit. You scale, you grow really fast, and you sell. My next entrepreneurial venture, which was in the culinary space, was the exact opposite. It was a humbling learning experience. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We never ended up, um, we never ended up scaling tremendously. We were profitable, but, you know, not going very far. We were reliant on advertorial revenue, which means that advertisers would pay us huge sums of money one month. And then months later, we were waiting for a check and the phone wouldn't ring. And so I learned very quickly an important lesson of entrepreneurship is that you need to have a scalable business model. And so this experience of relying on advertising was like a hot mess for me. You, I just like was waiting for the phone to ring and the phone wasn't ringing. So I pivoted and I started another company called Send the Trend. Send the Trend, at Send the Trend, we built a proprietary algorithm for intelligent shopping recommendation technology. I raised venture money for it and I sold the company 11 months later to QVC. So I had a totally different experience. I had three companies in a row, back to back to back, working like a maniac sold my third company, had two kids within two years, was working for the CEO of QVC, and just had like this light bulb moment in my career. I woke up and I said to myself, God, like I'm in meetings all day. 
I'm a prof- professional meeting goer. I would have a meeting to have a meeting to have another meeting about a meeting we were going to have in six months. And I was like, but I just really don't need to go to meetings. I need to sit in front of a computer and actually do some productive work. I felt like I became management very quickly and early in my career. And I just, it wasn't who I am as a person. And so I think it's important to stick to your true DNA. And then I just got the itch to start another business, which is where I started Wander. Wow. And going into collaboration, which is what you learned from Goldman Sachs and um, going into Wander Beauty, you teamed up with a co-founder who is also happens to be a Victoria's Secret supermodel, Lindsay. How did you two meet and did you have the idea and you presented to her? Like, how does how does how did you go about finding a co-founder? So it's really funny. I picked her up at a party. And that's, I highly recommend it. The next time you actually, when COVID is over and we start socializing and meeting people, you never know who you're going to meet where. And keep an open mind because you don't know if your next best friend or your next business partner is at the party that you're going to go to a day from today. And so I always went out with an open mind to network and to meet people. I went to a celebrity hairdresser's salon opening on Park Avenue in New York City. A lot of different, you know, amazing celebrities that he services were there. A friend of mine who was friendly with him and on his board was there. She introduced me to Lindsay. Her and I just, Lindsay and I just hit it off. It was that instant chemistry of, I love beauty, you love beauty. I love travel, you love travel. Beauty and travel and busy women on the go, none of it goes together. We're time-starved women who are on the go for different reasons. I'm a career mom of two kids who's taking the subway every single morning to work and putting on her concealer on the F train subway from the Upper East Side to Midtown. And you're a supermodel on planes, trains, and automobiles modeling around the world and carrying a handbag that's like, you know, five by five, five inches by five inches. How are you actually fitting anything in there? And so we knew we both believed in clean beauty. America as a country had not really had this movement yet. This was 2015. It was actually 2014 when her and I started ideating. And so we knew there were just a couple different themes that really spoke to both of us, although we were in totally different life stages, had totally different careers. We really didn't have anything in common. And that's actually the irony of what I think is a great co-founding story. When two people, like you guys are doing this podcast together, when two collaborators come together and they have uniquely different viewpoints and diverse backgrounds, that's where the magic happens. That's where you really, diverse backgrounds, diverse teams, diverse voices at the table create the most innovative and exciting opportunities and brands and businesses. And that's what I saw in Lindsay. I was like, we have nothing in common from our background. And she had a unique perspective on beauty because she sat in a makeup chair for endless hours, worked with every celebrity skincare expert, worked with every hairstylist. Like she had a real point of view on product and innovation and formulation and application. And I had a lot of that from QVC on the business side from having having worked on the digital side of QVC's beauty business, which is a huge beauty business. And we just came at beauty at two different angles and from two different lifestyles. And that's how we created Wander Beauty. And Wander Beauty is clean beauty essentials for the modern woman, you know, things that you reach for every single day, wherever you wander. I love that. And I'm a huge Wander Beauty fan. Um, your baggage claim, I if you guys have not tried their baggage claim eye patches, they are incredible. I wear them on every flight I go on. Um, and so for a lot of our beauty lovers who are listening, um, it is so important to have that point of view with your brand because let's face it, beauty is a very saturated industry. And so Agreed. as you navigate, like I remember reading in one of your interviews where you were thinking about your distribution model and you said that that your customer is queen and your client is a queen from day one and you wanted to follow where she was versus like what a traditional distribution model may look like. And so I can imagine that um, this industry is only getting more saturated. So how have you continued to navigate from the time that you started Wander Beauty until now? So we went out originally with this thought process of like, we want to be direct to consumer first. We want to own the relationship with the consumer. We want her to be part of the journey. We want her to tell us what to make. We want to survey her and ask her, what are the pain points in your beauty routine? What multitaskers do you need that will streamline your routine and make it easier for you? What ingredients do you love? We're cruelty-free. We're clean beauty. Like This is who we are, but what is going to satisfy your needs and your problems and your pain points? And so we used her as our true north to navigate the brand from everything from marketing, 
communications, PR strategy, product development strategy, and our distribution strategy. We serviced her directly on wanderbeauty.com. Eventually, we really felt like we needed to build our brand awareness as a brand and have multiple touch points for discovery and for trial. In beauty, discovery and trial are very important, which is where specialty retailers like Sephora come in and Nordstrom. And so there's this ability to service and be more consumers, have more people get awareness around your brand to discover you and to try your products. And so we built a retail footprint very intentionally with key thoughts in mind. We built Net-A-Porter because we wanted to establish our brand in affordable luxury with a prestige consumer. We built out Sephora to service a younger client who's shopping often online and via mobile app. We built out Nordstrom. Like we just really took it step by step. A lot of beauty brands go on steroids and they just launch a ton of distribution off out of the gate. I think we took a very crafted and curated approach to adding distribution. But you had to get those deals, right? Like you had Mm -hmm. to get the Nordstrom, like not, so that takes a while to like get that. You don't just go out the gate and get that. So you know what was interesting is that we came out with a differentiated story. Beauty is an industry of more is more. Every beauty brand is telling you, you need 20 steps for your skincare routine, 15 steps for your skin, like, you know, 20 steps for your skin, 15 more steps for your makeup, 10 more steps for your hair. And like, we were telling everyone the opposite. We're like, why don't we give you fewer, better beauty essentials, fewer things that do more? Like, isn't that a novel concept? Are the average woman spending 15 minutes getting ready during the day? She's doing her makeup routine in two or three minutes. Like, let's give her double-ended, multitasking sticks, lip and cheek color, highlighter, cream eyeshadow, all in one. Let's replace four products in her beauty bag and give her the on the glow blush and illuminator. Let's give her baggage claim gold eye masks that she can do while she's on a plane or while she's cooking or while she's, you know, working and depuff, hydrate, and brighten her under eyes and give her coffee for her under eyes. So every product was a problem solver. It was a multitasker and we were saving our consumer time and we were saving her space and we were saving her money so she didn't have to buy four things, she could buy one. And so when we came out with that innovative story, it actually attracted a lot of retail attention. We did not actually seek retailers out. Every retailer that we launched was someone who sought us out, which was interesting. Wow, even Sephora? Mm-hmm. So when we launched first, our first retail partner to reach out to us was Sephora. And we, you know, they noticed us and we got a lot of press initially when we first launched. And obviously Lindsay being involved as a consumer facing, you know, public facing supermodel was definitely helpful for the brand in the early days. And we were in People Magazine and we had a lot of different celebrities that were using us and artists. And like we... We really used our own networks. It was all organic. We never paid anyone. There was no no paid energy put behind the brand initially. And it was all about, and even till this day, quite frankly, but the reality is that we built organic relationships. We leveraged those relationships. We got a lot of press and buzz. And Sephora, literally, we got an email into customer service weeks after we launched saying, hey, listen, you debuted. We saw your brand. We've seen the press. We'd love to talk to you. And we were not ready wow. for Sephora when they first talked to us. I was like, we're not ready. Like, we got we need some time. And we so ended did up... did you... Yeah. Did you guys... I love the angle using the relationships, but did you, like, invest in press then and use that model, sort of? Or it was totally, well, we, like, organic, like, word of it mouth? It was mostly organic and word of mouth. We brought on someone that I knew um, pretty well and was a close friend to kind of help us out on the press realm and build some of those relationships. So that was helpful. I mean, till this day, we haven't had a PR agency, so... It's wow. been, you that, know, that building relationships. That's a good... Yeah, yeah, I mean, we worked with a friend who um, I knew very closely, and she was at an agency, so she kind of helped us in the early days, but that was in 2015. And since then, we've right. done everything ourselves. And I will say, like, your, like, influencer marketing gal, like, your PR girl, everyone in-house is amazing All at their in-house. job. And I would, would you agree that like having someone who's 100% pitching and representing your brand is 10 times better than having an amazing agency, but that team is covering a few different clients? I think it depends. I mean, for me personally, I believe the DNA of Wonder Beauty is that we should own the consumer experience and own the brand experience. And so I believe in having a lean team, a small team of hardworking A players who really can own their roles and deliver results. And so a lot of brands, when they launch, like they outsource everything. They outsource their operations, they outsource their product development. They have an agency do it. They have agencies for everything, for creative, for digital. Like 
we tend to just do everything across the entire organization in-house. That's just my model. I believe you should own it. You should do it. We create our oh, own in-house smart. studio. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's not just PR. I mean, we create yeah. all of our own creative. My Lindsay, my co-founder, is a creative director, and she literally has a shooting studio in our office, and we shoot all of our content in-house. So everything you um, see is shot by our team in-house. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if you follow Summer House, this character named Hannah Burner on it, and she was working at Betches, and she was becoming like her own celebrity within Betches, and then they fired her because they're like, and then she's like, why would you fire? Like, I'm creating such great videos for your brand, and they were like, no, but our brand isn't supposed to be the celebrities like we want, or, you know, the like we want the other people coming on. Anyways, what you're saying just feels like that's kind of exactly proving the point that she was sort of speaking to. I, I feel it's important to know your DNA, own your DNA, know what your brand stands for, be different and unique, and really deliver on that different differentiation and the unique points. But how do you balance that between like bringing people in-house and granted now you're paying a salary and whatnot and comparing that and you also probably having to learn a lot about the paid social, the PR and everything yourself compared to like hiring an expert and paying a little bit less or whatnot. Um, versus having someone in-house and being needing to manage them and direct them accordingly. So I love the idea of having mentors and experts. I really genuinely believe that I myself have so many mentors and experts that I reach out to when I have problems and issues and also when I want general guidance. So everyone on our team is really set up with mentors and experts across every department. So they have people they can reach out to, talk to, get guidance from, information, like even on influencer strategy, like I have a lot of friends who are influencers. So I will reach out to them and be like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Are we, you know, are we do delivering on our mission of being sustainable and not sending you excess packaging? Like, how do you feel about the last mailer? Like, we all have people outside the brand that we speak to across every department where we're learning and guiding. We also, at the corporate level, just have advisors at Wander Beauty who are more senior or seasoned in any department than our in-house team. And um, they're leading us and guiding us every step of the way. Wow, that's amazing. So going off of that, my question, uh, my last question for you before just hops in is so for anyone who is wanting to start a beauty business or become an entrepreneur in any realm I love when you do your TikToks on like your top tips <laughs> what would you say for anyone listening like your three to five top tips to be mindful of as you build and launch a company the first thing is go after a large market opportunity so many times as an investor I have my own investment fund called Conceptico I get pitched businesses where like if they dominate the market and own the market, it's still a tiny market and like it's not going to really be enough in sales to have a venture type return. And so large market opportunity is really important. Beauty is a multi-billion dollar organization and, you know, a multi-billion dollar, sorry, industry. So beauty is huge. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's a large market opportunity. Then think about how are you different and unique? What is your point of difference? Because as you mentioned, Brittany, like there's a million beauty brands out there. Like why launch another beauty brand? What is your point of difference? Own your point of difference. That's number two. Have a point of difference and really own it. Number three is like how are you as an entrepreneur uniquely positioned to solve that problem and to really make that point of difference come alive? For me, it was like I surveyed 100 women and I realized their pain point in their beauty routine is like they had so many like one trick wonders they were like using so many individual products. They had a lot of beauty. They don't know what to do with it. It's too many steps. They don't have time and none of it goes anywhere with them. So if they're going from desk to dinner or they're going to the gym, like Lindsay and I were doing our makeup in planes, trains, and automobiles. We were doing, I was doing my makeup on a subway. She was doing her makeup in the back of Uber. I was doing my skincare at the gym. She was doing her skincare at the gym. We knew these are real pain points for real women. So survey and get data around where the friction is, where's the problem, and be uniquely positioned to solve that problem. Tell me why you as that entrepreneur are uniquely positioned to solve this problem. So I think it's like have the large market opportunity, have a point of difference, and why are you uniquely positioned to solve a problem? And that's really what it is. And then at the end of the day, I think confidence and grit are key factors that you really need to be an entrepreneur, and there's no way around it. When you are confident in yourself, you will attract investors who have confidence in you and write you checks. When you are confident Ooh, in yourself, you will, 
Yeah, and if if you're I confident like in yourself, you're going to attract the right talent that's going to take your vision and your dreams and turn it into a reality and really execute or you, on or your you strategy. Or you just need a good partner. When I'm like crumbling with insecurity, I call Brittany. She kicks me in the ass and then we move on from it. So that's <laughs> sort of go. our operation. <laughs> and that's what it is. You clearly are a massive expert on beauty. Beauty is Brittany's industry. I'm more the finance industry. So I want to get a little more personal about that side of your life and learn a bit more about you because you sort of have done what what people are like second year investment banking they're like that's what I'm going to do and you're sort of sitting in that seat right so you did your two year did you do an MBA or did you go I did. Cornell to okay I so went, you did MBA Cornell at Harvard you know okay. that that Whoa, school in sorry, Boston drop. <laughs> <laughs> okay that H bomb that we don't like to drop <laughs> Harvard boys are always the cutest. We all know that. So you did your HBS. You did your. You went to Goldman. Uh, you did two years. Then you went second year into PE. So yeah, I did two years okay. investment banking, two years PE. And so I worked Where did four you work years. In PE? I worked at Invest Corp, um, which cool. is a large luxury yeah. PE firm. Um, I went to business school in Boston. Came back. Went back into venture and then started the whole entrepreneurial thing after that. Oh, got it. So you dr- that dropped after you did your PE. Got it, got yeah. it. Okay, and then you got... So at Invesco, were you working on... Were you working on like LVMH, like beauty type deals? Is that sort of what got the bug in your head no, at that I point? actually got the most unsexy deals you could ever imagine. So they were a consumer <laughs> private equity fund, and I got to work on auto parts. And it, like okay. I was on like advising on a company called like CSK Auto, which was like in the Oh, well, there's your dis- distribution expertise. That's where you got that yeah. from then. I mean, listen, yeah. I worked in a lot of different industries. I will tell you, I recently read a book um, that someone gifted to me called Range by De- David Epstein. And I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. It basically tells you like, when you want to grow in your career, generalist Trump specialists. And you need diverse work experiences with diverse people to achieve like really great results in your career. And so I love, like my son is an athlete, right? And he, I, we keep having this conversation. Well, can like we he, roll back? So, yeah, so you you did your HBS, you did your, mm-hmm. uh, then you did four years at a VC. And then in, in your VC, are you getting married at this time or where are you at at this point in your personal life? So I um, got married very young um, and uh, that marriage did not work out. I actually got divorced during business school, which is, you know, difficult and challenging, but it kind of, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. Um, and then mm-hmm. many years later, I met my husband, who I've been married to for over 10 years and have two kids with. So Very that's cool. my kind of personal life story. Got it. Oh, I like that. I like hearing that. It's, I mean, that's a great story to hear. Now, um, just, you know, you've hit some hard bumps, but you perceived, got through it, moved on and crushed it. <laughs> so your guy now, is he part of your business life or is he in totally different? Do you guys work together as a couple? No, we don't. And I think that's what saves our marriage. So um, Interesting. we have entirely different scopes of business. So I run Wander Beauty on the day to day. I co-founded the business. I'm the CEO. I also have my own investment fund. He invests, but he does mostly real estate and he does um, more public markets trading. And um, he worked in a family business for many years. I like to learn that, right? Because my friends, early 30s, they're going through that moment of like, I just finished business school or I'm in this job. I hate, I want to drop it. You know, that like crazy moment where you're like, what do I do? Do I start the business? So then at what point in those four years, like you were obviously feeling financially secure, you had your man, had you had kids at this point, and then did you say, I'm going to take this uh, no, opportunity? No, actually, this is how it worked. I went to Cornell. I came out. I worked two years in investment banking. I worked two years in private equity slash venture, and then I went back to business school. I came out of business school. At that point, I'd already gotten married and gotten divorced, and that was kind of on over. And I was alone, single in Manhattan, working hard, working in pri- venture capital, and then ended up starting my first company with someone I was dating who I never got married to. And so I, this whole entrepreneurial journey started prior to me getting married to my husband now, um, although he was with me during the launch of my third company, the investment round of my third company, and the sale of my third company, and has oh been gosh. with me, <laughs> and has been with me through the whole building and growing of Wander Beauty. So he calls himself an entrepreneurial widow, because that's (laughs) what apparently he feels like he is. Um, But What a cool story. That is such a cool story. I love that you hit every moment sort of that you needed to, right? The single days in New York, 
selling companies, all the all the goods. Um, so I was going to ask you if you miss the corporate world, but obviously you don't. The last thing I wanted to uh, talk to you on was you guys had a great profile in Vanity Fair. Like you looked so good. I was so impressed with the shots. I love the story. The writer did a great job. Um, but now we kind of talked about that. So I was wondering, like, did that help boost things for the company or was it just sort of great exposure and brand awareness? Like, did the Sephora's of the world and all that come after that piece or how did that fall into play? No, I got to tell you, I feel very strongly as an entrepreneur, the most important thing you can do is focus on building your team and building your business. That's really my advice to people. I think so many people get enthralled into being an entrepreneur because they think it's the sexy thing. And there are all these articles and there's the Forbes and the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. And I'm like, listen, every moment that I've been in the New York Times, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, like it's been great for my career. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for those opportunities, but that's not why I do it. That's not even 100th reason of why I do it. It's not even a focus for me. It's not even in my top 25 things that I care about in my life. I really focus on building a business, building the team, um, and growing and learning and expanding my own horizons. And I feel like it's been a pleasure to be able to share that story um, with the press and different points and time in my life. But entrepreneurs who go after the fame of wanting to be an entrepreneur, they don't understand the hard work and the grit that it actually requires to be there. I want to push back yeah. on that because for some businesses, you need the exposure for people. Like our business, right. we need people to learn about us. So right. I think it's less about wanting the fame and just wondering like, you know, if that stuff did really push through. But I mean, your resume, like everybody on this podcast that's in finance knows it's a mic drop. So I'm sure a lot of things came through because of that. And you're obviously excellent at what you do. So on that note, you're amazing. And <laughs> everybody and by again, Wanda Beauty. Yes, you keep saying you women and I make my boyfriend wear the... Baggage claim. The, the, yeah. the eye masks. Yeah, I think yeah, those are for men. I'm telling you, my husband wears them too. I, listen, yeah. actually, I was born with genetically bad dark under eye circles. <laughs> under eye circles happen for so many reasons. Lack of sleep, anemia, allergies. There's so many reasons. I just have the genetic issue. And so for me, I was on a personal quest to make them better. And so when we worked with a chemist and formulating, formulated these under eye patches, like, and they actually really worked... I believed in it. I went, my gut told me to do it. I remember telling Brittany the story of like, we took it to retailers and they were like, nah, we don't think that makes sense for your brand. I was like, you know what? I'm going to launch it because my gut tells me that my consumer is going to want this. And ultimately it's a hero skew for us. So trust your gut. I agree. And that actually, I used them with my boyfriend over the weekend. I love them. Yes, I have like Corey and baggage claim. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I but love again, it. I have a whole notebook filled with notes and from all your advice and feedback per usual. And I appreciate you like always supporting and taking the time to get to know the younger, like less experienced beauty entrepreneurs like myself and for everyone listening, like I hope no matter what industry you're in, You've done a lot of different things in your career, and it makes me excited and motivated from this conversation. So thank you again for taking the time. Yeah, and if anyone who's listening has any questions, feel free to reach out on Instagram. I'm at dgugnani, D-G-U-G-N-A-N-I. And I answer all my DMs. And buy your Wander Beauty at Sephora. Yep. Uh, or wanderbeauty.com. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Before we go today, I just want to do one quick plug for the show. If you are listening and have a minute, if you could just drop us a really quick review on Apple, it really helps the algorithm. And now with all these companies moving to subscription-based model in order for us and the show to stay free, we just need those reviews. That's all. Cake for Breakfast is proudly sponsored by Millennialink. It is executive produced by Smart Money NY, hosted by Jessica Devine and Brittany Lowe, edited by Kiana Bazzeri, social assets by Taylor Highbloom, and a special thanks to Richard Abate and Savvy Mapofu.